0: It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.
2: Pastathon! Tim Conway is broadcasting from the Anaheim White House restaurant. His show tonight begins at 6 o'clock. You can certainly stop by and donate, drop off pasta and sauce. Watch the entire show. But, of course, if you can't make it, PastaThon.com is the place to go to donate. Yeah, that's you can also go to Wendy's. Get yourself a Frosty. When you buy one, $1 will be donated to the PastaThon. You can also stop at any Smart Final store in California, Arizona, Nevada, and donate a checkout. These things you can do through December 4th. Today's the day for the Frosty, but you can still donate any amount you want to the PastaThon at checkout at Wendy's through December 4th. 4th, which is Sunday.
3: Well, you might remember uh, the terrible murder of Sergeant Michael Paredes, which uh, he was an El Monte police sergeant. And uh, he was called to uh, the motel of a, a domestic dispute.
2: Back in June, this happened.
3: Yeah. And uh, Paredes and his partner, uh, Officer Joseph Santana, were ambushed and killed. Justin Flores did the shooting. Flores was at the Siesta Inn motel. He'd had a long history of uh, violence and um, should have been in prison.
2: Yeah, there Uh, was a domestic violence complaint. In fact, uh, his parole officer actually put in a recommendation that his parole be revoked, but it was never followed up on.
3: Yeah, his mother, Flores's mother, had called Flores' probation officer in June to let this officer know her son had begun using drugs again and uh they were called for the domestic dispute and uh Flores unloaded his gun on Micah, on uh on uh Sergeant Michael Paredes. We're going to have his the attorney now for Janine Paredes, the widow. Uh attorney is Michael J Peacock. Michael, welcome to the Johnny Ken show.
4: Hey guys, how you doing? It's actually Mark, uh not Michael.
3: Oh, but, well, uh, uh Channel it, 4 identified you as
2: Michael.
4: Yeah, well, I'm a charging rhino, I guess. But
2: uh, there
3: you go. Uh, so, uh, you, thanks for having me on here.
2: Two paragraphs later, they have you as Mark. Just strange Yeah, ideas. there,
3: you go. there they, you go. Okay. Well, you maybe sometimes you identify as Michael. And sometimes <laughs> sometimes
2: it's Mark. you're Mark. Uh, all right.
3: Please. Well, please. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs>
2: well, obviously, I don't know if you know Mark. We covered this story heavily when it unfolded tragically uh, back in June. We'll just get to the big question first. I mean, we know this is a claim, which is the precursor to a suit. Is this personally against George Gascon or is it against the county? What is, who's the defendants here?
4: The defendants, That's a good question. The defendants actually are uh, George Gascon in his role as the, the DA and also the, the DA's uh, office and the probation uh, office. So it's against all of them.
3: Right, because, I mean, again, going by the media reports, it has a suit against Gascon individually. And I wonder, does that mean he'd be liable individually if there's a settlement or a verdict?
4: It doesn't work that way. Um, it, it, the county of Los Angeles would be responsible uh, for anything, right, any kind of verdict or settlement or anything. All
3: right. What's All right. what's the specific claim? What did Gascon and his department do wrong?
4: Well, that's a good question. and You know, the, these things are obviously a uh, dramatic environment, and it's, it's still developing, if you can believe that, unit at this date. We waited a little bit. You should know we waited a little bit before we filed. Because we wanted to kind of see what was up, what else was coming up with with all this. So basically, uh, you have the claim against Gascon and in the DA's department is they just when he came into the, the office, as you guys know and reported on, he, you know he shows up with these policies and procedures day one, basically handcuffing all of his prosecutors in his office as well in a it runs downhill and by downhill i don't mean to to talk down on the the law enforcement but that's where it goes these law enforcement guys are not able to go up there and do their job the police are handcuffed they you know they they arrest these guys for you know felonies and misdemeanors and whatnot and gascon's office is just not uh, prosecuting those sorts of things and here with flores you have a guy with one strike, and he should have been in custody. And you—I don't know which one of yeah, you said it—but yeah, you are correct. He should have been in custody a long time ago. He should never even been out on probation.
2: Yeah, he has an extensive criminal record, and of course, a lot of that deals with theft. I don't know. You remember Gascon's comments? Mark as this story unfolded, he was forced to speak about it, but he said things like. Well, yeah, apparently he was caught with the gun, but he never had any violence in his past. You know, he stole, I think, from his grandparents or something was the claim like that. And I guess he's been uh, booked on drug charges. But Gascon tried to make it sound like, oh, we had no idea this could be a violent person. Yet there you yeah, have this domestic just, violence stuff going on. Yeah.
4: And by the way, just so your listeners understand, he started, this guy Flora started using drugs back in March. And his mom was so concerned she called his probation officer and, and put him on notice of that. So that's that's the and they don't do anything. They absolutely don't. They don't do anything at all. So that guy should. There's no question that guy should have. Uh, number one, shouldn't have been out on the street anyway. And even when he's out on the street, he's violating his probation left and right. And he should have been uh, picked up and and uh, put back into custody. And Jones, by the way, his, his I don't know what you would call that when he was trying to stumbling through a press conference or something like that, talking about these things. It's ridiculous. And I'd love for him to say those things right to the face of who? Of the widow, of Janine, my client.
2: Right.
4: Say it to her. You know, let's, let's see how she responds to that. I'll tell you what, why don't you go down to the El Monte Police Department and say it to those, those women and men who work like, you know, as officers uh, every day. Say it to them. See how they respond to it.
3: So is this hands-off policy, is this formally written down? Is it just whispered and everybody knows to let things go? Or is it laziness uh, well, and sloppiness on the part of individual probation officers?
4: I'm anticipating that it's going to be a combination of a lot of that, uh, frankly. You know, there, you've heard some grumbling about COVID and, hey, you know, as probation officers, we couldn't get out there and do our job. And that's so on and so forth. But you know what? Stuff comes from on high and rolls downhill. So guess what? The policy and procedures start up at, at numer- the seat number one, and it runs downhill. So guess what? Hands off. And we're going to find out all about those questions you just asked. We're going to find out the facts, and we're going to take a look at them and see. And I'm anticipating, guess what? It was written. It was written. You don't have to go see these guys every- every- once a month. If they had simply done that, uh, Mr. Flores would have been in custody or should have been in custody, and this would not have happened. So eventually,
3: ridiculous. Eventually, you're going to subpoena, I guess, the probation officer and everybody else in the chain. Everybody and Everybody, on,
4: everybody and their mother.
3: Right, and then yep. you, yeah, subpoena all the documents to see if there's any written policies or if there were any uh, meetings.
4: Any After any we'll email all- instructions. We're going to get all that, and guess what? It's all We're going to share all that with everybody so everybody can see. Because guess what? The reality is this guy is screwed up. He's not qualified to be sitting in that position. It's unfortunate that the recall effort was not successful. You, know, you have to understand, too, and I know you guys know this because you guys have done a great job reporting on it, the, the law enforcement community, and I represent these men and women for a living, these people – can't stand this guy for why because when they're out there on the streets doing what they're supposed to do which is protect you me and everybody else guess what they can't do it because if they put somebody into custody gascon and his crew won't do anything about it and his crew by the way the prosecutors as you know sued him, right because they say hey you're preventing us from from prosecuting these guys and that's got to end. I mean, enough's enough. If you, anybody really wants to get a flavor of what's going on, hop in a car, go down downtown L.A., drive around. That's what's going on. It's a mess. At some point, somebody has to say enough's enough. And that's what Janine wants to do with this lawsuit.
2: How many times do you think that they should have taken Flores back into custody and did not during the time that <laughs> gascon has been D.A.? Do you think? A couple times?
4: Oh, yeah. That, that's, that's another great question. That list is expanding. As even from this morning until right now, I've got a whole bunch of stuff being sent to me, and that list is expanding. But guess what? It only takes one. Mm-hmm. Only takes one. If they had done their job once, this guy wouldn't have been on the street.
2: All right, Mark. Thank you so much for talking to us and uh, sent our best to your clients. Janine. Yeah.
3: And as you uncover things, if you want to come on and share it with the public and with us, uh, we'll, we're always there for you. You always have a home here. Okay.
4: I believe the family, appreciates everything, and we, we're right there with you. So thank you very much. All right.
2: All right. That is Mark Peacock. He's representing Janine Paredes. It was her husband, Sergeant Michael Paredes, who was murdered at that motel in El Monte back in June by a longtime criminal named Justin Flores. They got a call about a domestic violence situation. They walked right into the motel room. I think he was hiding in the bathroom. He came out firing. He shot them both. I think he even took their gun and shot them with it. And then eventually Flores killed himself outside in the parking lot. Also killed was Officer Joseph Santana. This is a $25 million claim against, uh, and I was right, John, against the L.A. County D.A. George Gascon, but it's in his position as county D.A., not personal lawsuit. So uh, because that's kind of the indemnification laws work with with the politicians. You know what? When this
3: stuff changes, when people who work for the government— are personally responsible. When you can liquidate their home, liquidate their bank accounts, liquidate their 401Ks, then you won't see characters like Gascon doing this. But they have to pay the price directly. All
2: right. Johnny Ken KFI AM640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. The Moistline is coming back around in three days. It'll be the first time we play the caller in a couple of weeks because we were both off last Friday. 1-877-MOIST-86, one 664 7886 Also, connect to the Moist Line using the iHeartRadio app. There's a microphone icon. You can leave a message that way. Well, there's been a lot of violence the last few weeks. We're going to talk after the news at 4.30 about a couple more things to tell you concerning what happened out in Riverside on Friday when a 15-year-old girl was taken by a creep who drove all the way from Virginia to hook up with her. And uh, he killed her mother and her grandparents talk about that story. The University of Idaho stabbing story doesn't have a lot new today uh, except this. The father of one of the slain students, her name was Kaylee Guncalvis, 21 years old. Her father, Steve, made an appearance on ABC News. He was venting about how their whole life, her life, their life has been left in shambles. She was the one that was hanging out with her best friend, Madison Mogan. They were the ones that went to a club and then they stopped at that food truck before they went back to the rented house. And sometime, an hour or two later, they were stabbed to death in their beds. The other two people killed were uh, Zanna Carnattle, 20, and her boyfriend, Ethan Chapin, who was also 20 years old. Uh, All they'll tell us it was some sort of a fixed blade knife and that they were probably killed in their sleep. The father is convinced that it happened fast. Nobody suffered. Nobody felt that kind of pain was his quote. Uh, A couple of disturbing things also came out of this. The family has not yet had a funeral for Kaylee because they're worried that whoever did this might attend because they're that screwed up in the head. Mm. My wife's biggest fear part of the reason we didn't have a funeral right yet because she couldn't be guaranteed that the monster was not going to be there.
3: Yeah, I, it looks like they have a true psycho, like a throwback psycho, like probably enjoying
2: kid. all this coverage.
3: Yeah, at home and, uh, uh, th- these psychos are capable of never saying a word about what they did which is how some of them lasted for years and killed multiple people because a lot of people end up telling someone and that's that's you know then somebody calls the police We're call bragging them, about it all online. yeah right you know that like they can't control themselves and then there is the the, the, the coldest type the sickest type. Complete psychopath, and they're able to shut down and not tell anybody and just go home and enjoy the coverage and enjoy the suffering and could be hiding in plain sight or, like we said yesterday, could be anywhere in the world by now. There's, a, no, there's no way to know where he is. And I know everybody in Moscow is, is really on edge, really nervous, thinking he's going to jump out from behind a tree, which he could do. But he, it also could be he's in a cabin in Maine somewhere. Or he's I, laying on the beach, just.
2: Uh, yeah, the possibilities are all over the place as to uh, whether or not this person had been stalking any one of the four for a while, or whether or not it's someone they ran into that just night, reading that a, just followed them home and decided to kill them. all. we don't know.
3: So, some of these guys are 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 uh, dads, are uh, husbands. They have regular jobs. They belong to local uh, civic organizations. Uh, they blend in. Some of them are really creepy weirdos where you get a terrible vibe. You
2: just don't know. The father also said the police believe whoever did this used a weapon, which was considered, well, apparently gave large puncture wounds, a brutal weapon. They paid money for it, and they're very proud of this weapon. This knife, which we've heard described as maybe a military-style knife something that Rambo might use in the old Stallone movie, something like that. And he said, the killer's probably out there having a great life, and we've just been left in shambles. So, uh, obviously, profilers have been working on this case nonstop to come up with an image. We had mentioned yesterday one weird profile which said whoever did this might be familiar with blood, but they also believe this is a first-time killing for this person. Is that because it was done in such a sloppy manner? And By the way, you were right. I saw a picture again of of blood leaking through the house outside mm-hmm. the house. There was mm-hmm. a picture taken of you yeah. can see blood on the I keep flashing.
3: I'd never seen a photo like that before, and it was an early photo. Uh, by, by luck, I happened to see it, and I thought, my God, how much blood would have to come out of their bodies to create a stream that goes along the floorboards, and it was leaking out, at, at the, at the uh, separation, yeah. but for, because the basement had like a cement wall, you know, coming up out of the ground. And then you had the main first floor with the siding or the shingles. I forget what the facing was. But there, there's a crack there, and the blood was coming in between the crack that separated the first floor from, from the basement. Yeah. And, I, and it was streaming down, streaks of blood going down the side of the basement wall. And wow. uh, I was like, oh my, that's why I was calling it a river of blood. And, and so th- that's why some of the information we have and some of the things that the survivors said just dis- doesn't add up. It doesn't add up that there was no noise. I realized the dad would like to believe that her the daughter, in effect, died in her sleep and never saw it coming and never felt anything, died instantly. That may not be true. I mean, well, I a don't lot know, of it was
2: this father or another father said that he thought that his daughter fought back? It might have been this man that was interviewed by ABC. I don't remember because three three girls were killed, but he, he thought his daughter fought back.
3: Yeah. I, I mean, there's going to be a lot of blood. And I don't I don't know how capable they'll be of if the killer got cut, if he left some of his blood and DNA and if they can isolate it from the victim's. Or does it all get washed away in the river of blood that went out, the, uh, went out the side of the house? Is there some splatter there that doesn't match up with the victims? And then is he in a database somewhere?
2: All right, more coming up. John and Ken, KFI, AM 640, live everywhere, the iHeartRadio app. Postathon, the 12th annual is upon us. Donate easily at postathon.com. Maybe drop by the Anaheim White House restaurant tonight where Tim is doing his show. Drop off uh, your donation there. Or, of course, go to a Wendy's. Get yourself a Frosty. Wendy's is donating a dollar to the Pastathon for every Frosty sold today at their locations. Um, you could try the new Peppermint Frosty, which John declined. John had a chocolate. I had, I
3: had a chocolate Frosty.
2: <laughs> you can stop in at any Smart & Final store in California, Arizona, Nevada and donate a checkout. That's good through December 4th. Same is true with Wendy's, where you can donate through December 4th. Today's the day, though, for the Frosty. Uh, 100% of your donation goes to Katerina's Club, and guess who we're talking to at 505, John? Bruno Serrato. Bruno Serrato, right? Like we have for every year sure. of the 12 years.
3: And uh, do we have a translator? Or are we just going to make...
2: Are you going to make that joke again that you can't understand? It's 12 years him? in a row. It's <laughs> never fails. Same joke. I know. <laughs> Will be harder for you in person because it'll be on the phone rather than in person, like we used to. You know. I don't know. I
3: always, I always fake my way through it anyway.
2: All right. uh, Next up, here we go. The Netherlands. What does that mean? That's the U.S.'s next opponent in the World Cup. Don't you like to know, John?
3: Oh well, I'm focused on Poland and Saudi Arabia tomorrow. I know.
2: What time are you getting up to? I have a watch party. Wow. Deborah Mark coming? It's uh, it's eleven o'clock.
3: I wasn't
1: invited.
2: Oh, a watch party. I know. Well, I see no. signs all over the place. A watch party.
3: Yeah, we have to work. Yeah, in fact, I, I was across the street. Uh, we went to a store. There was a bar across the street. I guess it must have been Sunday, like at about 10 o'clock in the morning, and there was a crowd pouring out of a, 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 a pub, one of those Irish pubs in Santa Monica. Yeah, because yeah, uh, England was playing.
2: It's oh, a, that's a biggie. Yeah, idea.
3: yeah. so the, 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 the standing room out on the sidewalk.
2: I went into, yesterday, yeah, it was the Chili's, right? The Chili's restaurants? Yeah. And there was already a crowd at the bar, and I I, I was flummoxed until I realized, oh, they're all watching World Cup games. U.S. Yeah. wasn't playing. They just wanted to watch World Cup games. Yeah. It's like 10 people sitting there already. I'm like, it's 11 a.m. It's the only time you get morning sports. You're right, when you have something going on you know? far away. I think they're like 11 hours, or 10 hours ahead of us over there.
3: Yeah, yeah. something. It's, it's upside down, whatever it is. Because I know All right. they're starting some of their matches at ten o'clock at night, because of that's the, right
2: because of the TV,
3: uh, the TV and and the time zones and the weather and
2: no no oh yeah because it's a so hot there even though it's December November. <laughs> uh, let's uh, bring you up to date on that horrible story out of Riverside, where Friday police got a call, a nine one one call to check on a disturbance. When they got there. Apparently, the people they were looking for were gone. It was a 15-year-old girl and a man by the name of Austin Lee Edwards who came to hook up with her all the way from Virginia. Apparently, the two met online somehow. We don't have the details on that. But he portrayed himself as also being a teenager. And then he came to meet this girl. And uh, it looks like it got ugly because police noticed smoke coming from a nearby home. And when they took a closer look, they found three dead bodies. This would be the girl's mother and her grandparents killed by this Austin Lee Edwards. We don't know yet how they were killed. Obviously, the house caught fire, but they were already dead bodies lying in the home. Uh, What we do know today is that the police have decided that the 15-year-old girl was not complicit in any of this, and that had to be decided because remember we had that story a few months ago. Remember the girl that was killed by police, and they weren't sure whether or not she was complicit with the man she was with. Yeah, her father. It was her father. It yeah. was her
3: father. He had killed her mother. He had
2: killed her good mother. Right. They they saw went her on, dead in the street.
3: They went on all the drove all the way up to I think Barstow, way yeah. up north, and then there was a big chase coming down uh, the 15.
2: Yeah, it was the 15. The 15. The guy drove off the 15 and eventually started to shoot at the police. And uh, she ran towards the cops and they killed her. Dressed in body armor. Yeah. So we don't, that story's not completely fleshed out yet. Right. Because they thought maybe she was
3: was firing at the cops too. For a time. I don't know if they resolved that question.
2: Yeah, I don't know either. But because of that, and they would otherwise have to do this, they have to figure out, and the 15-year-old here in this case is safe. She's alive, and they do not believe she was complicit. In fact, the neighbor called 911 because it looked like the two were arguing. And you think you might argue with a man that just killed your mother and your grandparents, and she didn't want to go with him, probably. But instead, they got into his car, drove off, and uh, eventually the cops tracked them down, and they say that this uh, Virginia cop fired at them. They fired back and killed him. Uh, He was... Uh, With the Virginia State Troopers for about a year, basically got through training, but then he resigned, and then he just took a position with the County Sheriff's Department.
3: But I haven't seen any description about his life, uh, about whether he was uh, a big creeper weirdo and everybody who knew him. You're
2: right, I haven't either, about anybody back east that knows him, saying anything about him, his parents, his family. Was he ever married? He's 28.
3: How many teenage girls uh, got the big talk from their parents last night after seeing this story? Because this is is in the worst nightmare category. This is when, you know, you see your daughter late at night online and she doesn't want you in the room. She doesn't want you looking at her stuff. and, And you're wondering, is she online with some creeper, you know, on the other side of the country?
2: But she thought it was right. another teenager, and maybe they were really connecting.
3: Well, yeah, right, which is why you don't go online and do this. And I don't know, I don't know, you know, I'm curious, like, what kind of girl or what kind of kid does it versus the kind of kid who doesn't do it? Right. You know, is there some, and, you know, a lot of this stuff dates back to early childhood. I think it, it dates back first five years, how you handle your kids uh i i don't have a formula but i'm always curious it's like why why do people take the paths the paths they do or the risks that they take is it born in them or is it some feeling of neglect being unloved you know feeling feeling desperate for attention and affection uh no i'm I'm wondering what leads to the moment where she trusts this this weirdo
2: he drove 2,582 miles from north chesterfield virginia to Riverside and apparently he waited for the family that's why he parked down the street in front of a neighbor's home and he kept pacing back and forth waiting for the, the the girl and i guess her mother and grandparents to return to the home this was last Friday and that's what got the attention of the neighbor they noticed him and then when he began arguing with the teen that's when they called 911 because otherwise who knows how long it would have taken him to catch up with this i mean the house would have burned and they would have come and found the bodies but it could have been much more many more hours later all right, we got more coming up. John and Ken, KFI, AM640, live everywhere, the iHeartRadio app. Bruno Serrato coming on after 5 o'clock as we
3: celebrate another pastathon here on KFI.
2: Yeah, he's already at the White House restaurant, of course, in Anaheim, and that's where Tim's doing his show tonight, and we'll talk to Bruno about this year's pastathon. and all that's happened in the last year. This is the 12th annual in KFI. Go to pastathon.com for more details. All right, well, the following story, I'll have to give you a warning right now not for graphic or disgusting or dead animals, or it's going to involve the use of a lot of they and them. Sam Brinton was one of the federal government's first gender non-binary officials. (laughs) Sam is the deputy assistant secretary, I love this title, for spent fuel and waste disposition at the Department of Energy's Office of Nuclear Energy. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's getting rid he, of uh, nuclear he, waste. He's got a, he's got a job managing uh, nuclear materials, and what a character this
3: uh, person is!
2: Quite the picture portfolio of this uh, person, uh, Sam, who does use the they them pronouns, was confronted by police a month after he allegedly grabbed a two thousand three hundred and twenty five dollar Vera Bradley suitcase from the baggage claim at the Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport back on September 16th. And he initially denied stealing the bag, insisting their clothes were inside the suitcase at the time. But he eventually backtracked, claimed that uh, they were in a fog that day and they took the piece of luggage by mistake. They were Mm. confused. However, it has been reported that Brinton, on that particular day during that travel, did not have a bag. So, you know, so it looks nothing.
3: like uh, theft. Looks like uh, he's a Looney Tune.
2: Not they.
3: Yeah. Uh, if you
2: ever want to use a pronoun, I, I will I, respect I, it. I can't, I can't.
3: I can't get over the singular/plural thing, though. It, it makes yes. And reading the I stories can't. as we were coming it back very, on the air, I was, started to think, how many people did this? I know. I had to read the story three times, and it's just not the way you normally refer to a single person. So that's, that's what, what, what the problem is. And I wish somebody would rectify this.
2: Brinton is saying that he gets to the hotel, opens it up, and realizes it's not his stuff. But oddly, he dumps the clothes out at the hotel, leaves the clothes there, but then takes the bag and actually uh, went on a few trips with it.
3: <laughs> Brinton also uh, wears interesting fashions. Brinton has a shiny, waxed, bald head. Thick red lipstick. In one picture, he's got a long red gown uh, with expensive. That's jewelry not non-binary.
2: That's very feminine. I, I look. I, I to me, non-binary is you're wearing kind of neutral-looking clothing. No, I, I guess I, it's not up to me to decide. I, you know
3: what? I throw my hands up. I don't know. I don't know anything. In in some pictures, he's wearing a normal jacket shirt. So she I, they uh, right. They. And. uh Sam. Just call him Sam. Sam, yeah. But the um, thing is, he Sam got this job primarily because of his public...
2: Non-binary status? Yes. That this was going to be a breakthrough appointment. Right. And as it turns out, Sam is a nut. He's stealing luggage at airports. Is that... Where's our fashion expert Deborah Mark? Is that a nice uh, brand? Uh,
0: What's the brand again?
2: Vera Bradley.
0: I've never heard of it.
2: Two thousand three hundred twenty-five dollars suitcase is a lot.
3: Well, wow,
0: that is a lot of money.
2: You know, uh, obviously the Vera
3: Bradley company has convinced people it's really nice and worth it.
2: <laughs> That's how it works, right?
3: Seems to me my l- luggage ought to cost what a hundred bucks.
0: Yeah, but the high end. The high-end brands do cost a $2,000. I was, just have never heard of this brand.
3: Was Sam stealing it for the bag or stealing it for what's inside the bag, figuring this is a rich person probably has rich person stuff inside?
2: Now, supposedly, uh, well, there's a woman that was traveling from New Orleans is all they have so far. He he removed the ID tag. Identifying oh, well, no, no the owner.
3: He's, he's, he's a thief.
2: And when confronted, like I said, at first he denied it, and then apparently yeah. called the cop back two hours later and said, "Well, I haven't been completely honest." Well, yeah, when you're giving out multiple stories, then, then no, you you
3: stole it and you got caught, which means he must have done a lot of this. I mean, the guy's a government official, what, in charge of nuclear waste? Yes, nuclear waste disposal. Nuclear
2: waste disposal. This is a big position. And Sam is is stealing suitcases. Felony theft of movable property without consent is the charge. He actually could face up to five years in prison and a $10,000 fine. Been placed on leave, but apparently there's already somebody that's filling the uh, position. Yeah. The deputy assistant secretary of spent fuel and waste disposition in the DOE. 34 years old. I, I
3: just at a loss. This is what, what life is about. I, Everything is about your 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 sexual nature or your sexual habits, which should all really be your private business. Um, and now it you know it's it's key to getting a responsible, important government jobs. And hmm. and I, I guess nothing else matters. I guess nobody checked to see if this guy, if this uh, Sam got that they, thing screws loose.
2: Right. They, an MIT graduate who specializes in nuclear power and energy. How about that? All right, when we come back, our guest will be Bruno Serrato. Of course, to the Anaheim White House restaurant. Katarina's Club, feeding the kids. The 12th annual Pastathon is on. KFI. Johnny Ken Show, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. And Deborah Mark, live in the 24 hour KFI newsroom.
1: Live Nation presents Concert Week.